before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of The Endgame, featuring Bill Fleckenstein and our very special guest, James Aitken of Aitken Advisors. James returned to The Endgame to share his thoughts on the escalating set of problems facing the world's central bankers as we move inexorably towards an endgame of sorts. The predicaments faced by Corona at the BOJ and Madame Lagarde at the ECB, as well as the corner in which Jay Powell finds himself, are all discussed as well as some idiosyncratic moves by the RBA in recent months, which might offer potential clues as to what may happen next. James's new website, aitkinadvisors.com, is finally operational, so please do yourselves a favour, pay that a visit, and you'll find a lot more of James's incredible work there. And as you'll hear, he's someone you really want to listen to whenever you can. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, this Week in Doom and the new series Shifts Happen is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcast and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, on with the show. Well, James, welcome back to the Endgame. You are on the Mount Rushmore of Endgame participants, the, the first three-time contributor, and we are grateful to you for, for giving us a bit more of your precious time. Well, let's be grateful that you've found other people to contribute. <laughs> yeah, it would just be me and Bill in a room talking to each other. Both of them? Very good. No, it's lovely to see you both. Well, I guess we should start off with the elephant in the room, that being one of the questions we've pursued for a while is, you know, of course, how does this, this period of money printing end? And a lot of people could never fathom it. And what we didn't know was, would the bond market do it? Would the currency market do it? Would it be Japan? Where would it go? And lo and behold, it appears to be Japan. And so I guess the, the question everyone wants to know is, what's going to happen next now that Kuroda has insisted on maintaining yield curve control and the ends being splattered and rates are trying to go higher. What's going to happen next? Give me the newspaper for the next uh, 30, 60 days in Japan, James. Well, that's, well, that's an easy one to start with. Um, let, let's think about how we, how we got here, okay? And just think about 2022 in particular. For a number of reasons, not least that they were starting to lose money on a mark-to-market basis, and it was very expensive to roll the FX hedges, Starting in late January and early February, Japanese institutional investors began to unwind fully affixed hedged uh, treasury positions. So to be clear, they were selling a lot of treasuries. And intuitively, you would think if Japanese investors are selling treasuries, well, it's a, it's a supply headwind for the treasury market, but they're also going to be selling dollars to buy yen. However, because of mark-to-market losses, they had over-hedged the FX. And I know this is a bit complicated, 
But not only were they selling treasuries, but they had to buy right. dollars back to exactly to unwind their hedges. So you had this rather unusual situation, which I think was largely responsible for dollar yen breaking through the top of what had been a very consistent ceiling around 115, give or take. And it was Japanese investors selling treasuries and buying back dollars. And all of a sudden, we're in the high 120s. And most of the people who have been thinking about a weak yen for a long time didn't have the position on. So that was the first step. And then the second step, which is a little bit more difficult, is that uh, inflation kept bubbling up everywhere, unsurprisingly. Central banks everywhere had to become more hawkish. And frankly, once the ECB and now the SNB uh, said, we're going to walk away from zero rates and we need to go in a different direction because inflation is overpowering us, then the Bank of Japan is the last man standing. And I've thought about the 25 basis point cap on a 10-year JGB as kind of like the world's last remaining duration anchor, right? Now, there's an important subtlety here, uh, Bill. You can't have a strong yen and endless yield curve control particularly if you're the most dovish central bank in the world. So there's a trade-off, you would think, at some point. So it's no surprise that if everyone else is uh, uh, suitably hawkish, and we'll come to all of those folks in a minute, and the Bank of Japan is holding out, but the yen's going to be weaker and probably going to trend lower. So that's the first step. But the important thing to keep in mind is that so far, the inflation situation in Japan, and to be clear, we're talking about realised inflation, not inflation expectations, although they're moving up, but realised inflation in Japan has just started to tick up through uncomfortable levels, and it's certainly a lot lower than the United States or elsewhere. So hence, Kuroda is saying, no, 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 no time soon, you know, no plans to uh, step away from yield curve control, we'll keep you posted. So what? Well, my thinking is that Kuroda-san too, despite all his protests, will over the next three months be overcome by the world's inflation impulse as well. And if that is the case, time will tell, then he will have to go, ha, about yield curve control, ha. And the problem with a peg or yield curve control is that you cannot provide guidance when you're ending. Right. You can't. Im imagine if they said, Grant, we're going to go back by one basis point, then they're going to get filled by the entire planet on that JGB bid, right? So there's no guidance. These things just go. And we have some recent history of that, which is we the do. Swiss National Bank with the, with the Swiss, Euro Swiss peg, or sorry, the Swiss peg at 120 in January 2015. And then, of course, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia with your curve control late last year. So what am I saying? I think it's an important distinction. The decision whether to abandon yield curve control will not be a function of how yen the weak, how weak the yen becomes. Although, of course, if Kuroda is determined to hold on for a couple more months and the Fed is necessarily more hawkish, then the yen is going to probably get weaker yet. And we can yet head up to 145, 150, we shall see. It will be a decision taken entirely on the evolution of inflation data in Japan. And my suspicion, which to be clear could be totally wrong, my suspicion is that yield curve control in, in Japan may have three months left. We shall see.
It's fascinating, James. You touched on that recent move by the RBA, and it's worth talking about that because the RBA is an underfollowed central bank for many reasons, some of them good, some of them not so good. But just for people that haven't followed that, just run us through what happened there because it's the perfect example of what happens when yield curve control gets abandoned for everything you just said. Could I interject one thing first? You make the really excellent point that obviously you can't give guidance about breaking a peg or, you know, that's just a peg. Let's just speculate for one second. Like, let's say it is 90 days or so. He's on borrowed time and he can't leak it. So he breaks the peg. Where do JGBs trade? Just best guess. I know it's a wild ass speculation, but I'm just curious how far you think they might go. Well, yen swaps over the counter 10 year yen swaps have already moved a lot wider because people sense that they need to hedge. And therefore, yen swap spreads, the difference between a 10-year JGB and a 10-year over-the-counter interest rate swap have widened accordingly. Um, if we go back to 2003, there was, a, there was the infamous JGB VAR shock. And over three weeks, 10-year JGB yields widened by approximately 75 basis points. And at the time, they went from 50 to roughly 125. Maybe that's a benchmark for thinking about it. But, of course, nothing happens in isolation, does it? it it's, it's, it'd be interesting to consider how far JGBs might go if Japanese yield curve control ends. My very best guess would be, and it is a guess, would be somewhere around 100 basis points. But then, so what? What happens after that? If, if the Japan is the last holdout and they abandon yield curve control, well, it'd be ironic if they do it just that the rest of the world was starting to slow down a bit or oil prices are coming off, right? So you need, to keep, you need to keep an open mind. But, of course, the primary spillover bill in the, envi- in the event that Japan did step back from yield curve control would be the knee-jerk response would be a sharp rally in the yen. And we saw some hints of that last week. Uh, Dollar-yen has become, uh, uh, for the first time in a long time, a high realised volatility asset. It's really moving around. After the Swiss National Bank decision, a number of yen bears decided that they'd buy some short-dated yen calls versus the dollar. And so we came off 135-ish down to 131, and then no decision, back up we go. Um, that, that would be a preview for the sort of outcome. But then, of course, we need to consider, all right, if a 10-year JGB goes from, let's say, from 25 to, to 100 basis points or somewhere in that direction, what does it mean for a 10-year treasury? What, it, what does it mean for a bond? and so on and so forth. And for my sketch, and it's just a preliminary sketch, would be, you know, if your curve control goes in Japan, it might be the final rug pull of duration in the United States and Europe. Maybe it's the thing that takes a 10-year treasury to 4%. And if at long last the world's duration anchor is pulled, you know, what's left? Maybe there's nothing left after that. And, you know... (laughs) As bizarre as this sounds now, again, I keep saying open mind because there's not many precedents for it. But, you know, that's the last rug pull and we get a spike in interest rate volatility. Does it then come off? Because, you know, what's, what's the unknown unknowns after that? But maybe, look, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overthinking it. But, but to me, it's like thinking about in the first instance, how far does a 10-year JGB potentially go? What might be the near-term impact on the yen and, by extension, other Asian currencies versus the dollar, right? What might be the spillover on a 10-year treasury and a bund? And, and frankly, how, should I, how much should I care? What does it mean for other assets? And, and obviously, we can get into that. All right. Thanks for the answer. Now, now I think that doing your uh, RBA uh, yeah. 
analysis would be useful. And I think think the RBA is useful simply because, I mean, first of all, the chart is a thing of wonder for anyone that hasn't seen it. But also, you know, the currency reaction, the RBA reaction, the market reaction, everything that's wrapped up in Full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.